more hand than clap and praise as Randy does. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Praise the name of the Lord. The psalmist said, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Our God is a great God, a great king above all gods. Can you give the Lord praise for his word? Hallelujah. The word of God is full of scriptures just like this declaring to us who God is. And the way we come to know these things is by reading our words. But there's also another way to come to know who he is, and that is he is, the, he is the, who the word of God says that he is, and that's by going through life in itself. I read his word, and it led me to want to be saved. I remember reading it and telling me, it telling me who God is, but I also remember, remember giving my life to God, coming to a point saying, okay, God, this word says this is who you are, now show me. And boy, has he for 26 years of my life have I been serving him. He has proven time and time again he is who he says he is. He showed me that he's faithful. He showed me that he's a provider, that he's a deliverer, that he's a healer, he, that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's forgiving, that he's loving. I've learned, learned everything he's promised me he was, and he is a God who cannot lie. Would anybody else agree with me what I have said so far? Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I have learned as much through my bad times in life about God as I have in my good times. I truly have learned he's my very present help in times of trouble. I've learned that he'll never leave me nor will he forsake me. I learned that when I pass through the waters, he'll be with me. When I pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over me. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. The flames will not set me ablaze. He's my refuge, my fortress, in whom I trust. And I could go on and on and on about what I've learned through my troubles. The Bible's full of stories how men and women in their greatest troubles learned God was who he said he was. And the Bible confirms this, that regardless of who you are, you will have troubles in this life. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had troubles in this life. Now tonight, I'm going to be giving you what I think was probably the rest of the story. Because the pastor preached this morning in Matthew 14 up to about verse 22. Well, guess where I'm preaching? From 22 up. So he preached part one, part two, part three, and I think it's part four. And uh, so I'm going to preach part five. Six, seven, and eight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. Very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, this passage of Scripture can teach us how we can learn life lessons through our threatening situations. A lot of times when we refer to troubles, we call them storms. Because when you call them storms, it's easy to make an analogy to a storm when we look at our troubles in our lives. Because natural storms come in everyday lives at different times. So can even spiritual storms. Everybody in here has been through a natural storm. We know they can come with, it, with warning, and we know they can come without warning. They can be of different sizes and magnitudes. They can bring devastation. They can bring tragedy. But we can learn things from them. Millions of dollars are spent studying natural storms to learn from them to make us better prepared for the next one. I've always said storms make good sailors, that we can learn life lessons from them. If you've ever been in a bad storm, I mean a real storm, not a rain shower, I'm talking about one of those that brought devastation, destruction, caused chaos and panic and fear to arise, you learn some things from your time of being in that storm. So it can also be with spiritual storms, life's troubles as well. Some are severe storms, and you can learn some lessons from them as well in your life. We're going to draw this conclusion tonight that all those storms aren't pleasant, they can have a purpose. They can even at times be orchestrated by God. 
And that even if it's from the enemy, God can take what the enemy meant from your bad and turn it into your good. Because he is a peace speaker in your storms. Now tonight I'm talking about storms. I'm talking about severe storms. I'm talking to the degree of a hurricane or tsunami or tornado type storms and relating those to our life storms. Let me just ask you, have you ever gone through one of the life storms and you made it through it, survived it and endured it and you came out of it and you thought, what in the world was all of that about? I mean, big things such as a serious crisis, a divorce, abuse, addiction, affliction, loss of a loved one, tragedies, traumatic experiences, emotional trauma, sickness, car wrecks, relational crisis, people having a falling out with you, and you've known them for 20 years. You made it through, but you sure are confused now. And what happens with confusion, it mounts and it mounts and it mounts until you become very weary and stressed out, hopeless and depleted because you can't figure out what went wrong. Why did this have to happen? How could have this happened? You're full of questions. You're searching for answers. You're wondering, what happened? You were faithful. What went wrong? You were left confused. Now you're unsure about anything ever being certain again to where you can be free and to go forward in your life. Sometimes you're moving your feet, but you feel like you're nearly never going anywhere, like you're just running in place because you can't figure out what that storm was about. And I've come to say, if you believe in the sovereignty of God like I do, and that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, that life is not a tale told by a fool, that it's not just a series of chaos, incidents, and accidents, but that God has a master plan that he divinely orchestrates, causing all things to work together for the good of those who love God, and goals are called according to his purpose. If you truly believe that, then you must believe that for every issue, there's a rationale behind it a purpose, a lesson to be learned. God's not just sitting in heaven. I'm bored. I don't have nothing to do today. I think I'll just allow chaos to come to her life today and just see how she reacts to it. Sometimes our concept of God is so off the charts. God's too loving to allow anything to happen to you that don't have purpose behind it. I'm not talking about what you allow to happen to you through your own permissive will and consequences. I'm talking about what God allows to happen to you. He's not mean. He's not bored. Everything has a purpose. Life is not an accident. There's some people who think they were accidentally born. No one was ever accidentally born. The fact of how you were conceived has no bearing of who you are. And if you're alive today, that means you were born. And the Bible clearly states each and every one of us was uniquely created by God with a plan and a purpose, but he doesn't say there will not be trials and struggles, for it was with Christ that he learned obedience to his sufferings. When storms come, we feel like, Lord, what's going to happen next? If it's not one thing, it's another. It's like you wake up in the morning wondering what's going to happen today, and when something does happen, you go and tell God, guess what happened to me today, God, and you won't believe what he or she did to me or said to me today, or what happened to me today at work, or like he doesn't already know. It's like you're expecting him to say something like, you gotta be kidding me. When did all that happen? You see, many times when we pray, we think we are updating God, giving him the 411, the breaking news. We seem to realize that our God is a strategist, that he organizes and orders our steps for a divine purpose. We seem to not realize that he strategically moves us from point A to point B in our lives, so at some time in our life, he can move us to point C. We seem to not realize he has a strategic plan and that he may not let us in on it or when he initiates it. Why? Perhaps God doesn't want us to mess it up, don't want us to resist it. If we only knew how many times God was trying to do something good for our lives and we messed up, we'd be shocked. There's been times God has spoken to us about his will for our lives, and in knowing them, we think we got to help God out with his plan. And we end up messing it all up like God really needed our help in the first place. 
You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. You want to bring him glory? Follow his plans. It must be frustrating to God when he's got a plan for you, a call for you, and you try to take control of it only to mess it up. Like King Saul, who had a plan for, his great, for greatness but took control, and as a result, he lost control. We mess things up and then have the audacity to blame God for our failures. So many times to keep that from happening, God doesn't always tell us the plan. Sometimes, yes, he even uses storms to teach us. According to the scripture in Matthew 14, verses 21 to 33, I'm going to pick out some points here. One of the first thing he teaches us in our storms, in our troubles is, number one, God is in control. Not only of you, but your circumstances. Notice this. The disciples in this passage were caught up in a severe natural storm. The storm's a setup. It's not an accident. It didn't just happen. He rearranged it. He ordained it. He strategized it. He organized it for a life lesson. Think about this, people. He just got done feeding the multitude. Then he told disciples, go get in the boat. Go across to the other side while I send the multitudes away. What kind of sense does that make? Then when he sends the multitude away, it's like he says, I haven't been away from them long enough, so I'll kill some more time, and I'm going to go up on the mountain and pray. Not just a little prayer. The Bible says he prayed till it was night. So do you think he really didn't know the storm was coming? Do you think he didn't know what he was doing when he sent them across? Do you think it caught him off guard? Do you think he was just looking out for his own interests? I know a storm's coming. I'm going to just wait till it's over. Couldn't have someone else sent the multitude of home? Couldn't have Jesus prayed on the boat? After all, remember in chapter 4 of Mark, he was in the boat with the disciples when he stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves on that boat. Now, this storm was no accident. It had a purpose. God had a plan. This was strategically orchestrated by God. He strategically set them in this situation for a divine purpose because he wanted to teach his disciples a lesson about life. That's what it means when he states the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. It doesn't always just mean that every part of God's plan is about blessing you. Even our storms can be ordained by God. Your tests, your inconveniences, your circumstances. This is what brought Job through it, what I'm teaching you. Job, in the height of his afflictions, would not curse God's sovereignty. He said, the Lord knoweth the way that I take, and when he's tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Look at the descriptive comparison he makes as pure gold. In other words, Job was saying, whatever I'm going through is valuable to me. This is not so easy to comprehend when you're going through a storm. God's not shocked your storms come, yet when it happens, you're so confused. You begin to question things. Learn this. Anytime God does something that you don't understand, it means he's up to something to teach you, to change you, to correct you, to bless you. You see, you can't understand when you don't pay the rent. They, they can, you do understand when you don't pay the rent, they can evict you. But you cannot understand why the factory you were working at for 20 years went out, caused you not be able to pay the rent when you've been faithful to tithing for 20 years. Come on, somebody, it's hard to understand. And that's happening for my good? I don't see it that way. Anytime God takes you another way, if it's different than the promises you've been standing on in the word of God, you have trouble understanding why. If I take a different way than usual to Walmart with my wife, I got some explaining to do. The questions begin. Where are you going, Joe? Why are you going this way? Well, the reason I did is because I'm up to something. I want to run by here or there on the way there. And it's the same with God. May not be the same way, oh way, but may not even be the easiest or the shortest way. 
When God does this, it means he's up to something. Folks, God can stop a storm. He proved that in Mark 4. When he stood up and said, peace be still, it was over. Instead, he sets up a series of circumstances to put them in a situation this time that only a divine experience could get them out of. But why? So they could experience his power. So they could learn something about him that they never knew. So they could grow a deeper depth of faith in him, experience a deeper level of trust in him. Now, we all have storms in our lives, and like natural storms, sometimes they're isolated to you, meaning you could be going through something no one else is. But in this storm, it wasn't just Peter going through this. All of the disciples were going through this storm. The whole group was. He doesn't just allow isolated storms. Many times he allows the whole group, the whole congregation, the whole family to go through the storm together. I can say in my spirit for this church, I feel like at this point, we aren't experiencing isolated storms. We're all in this storm together. Why? He's trying to get the whole church to the other side, to point B. He's not just trying to move a few of us. He's trying to move all of us to the other side. And through this storm, we're going to learn something about God together. We never would have learned about God had we not gone through this storm. See, it wasn't enough for just one of the 12 to learn it. He wanted all the disciples, the whole congregation to learn it. For what they've learned would be necessary and valuable for them to fill their purpose God had called them for. They're fixed to learn just how much they could trust him. They're fixed to learn just how powerful he was. He, how he must be in control for us to survive this storm. Their faith was going to be taken to a new level. This lesson was lesson about God they would never forget. The storm was going to launch them to the other side. The storm experience would help others with their experiences and their storms. How are we going to help the destitute, the poor, the hopeless, the cast down and the hurting that God is sending in here in this last day harvest if we've never been through the storms or anything ourselves and witnessed the power of God to come through and bring us through? All the testimonies we're hearing are about storms and storms that people have been through and your experiences that will help others to survive their storms as well. You see, God controlled the crowd, the disciples, the storm, the boat, and the seas. He's not just a God that can only control you. He can also control your surroundings, your circumstances, your, the timing. All is divinely orchestrated by God. It's like being in what the fire department calls a controlled burn. God controls all the surroundings means he monitors what he's ex we are exposed to. We've heard a controlled environment means everything is monitored and everything's planned. Your circumstances are under his control, not just you. God can use your negatives and your positives to manipulate your circumstances to order your steps up. You see, I can believe God used Judas as much as he used Peter to get Jesus to the cross. Judas was, was handpicked to play his role. And at the right time, at the right place, he betrayed Jesus because God allowed him to plan for him to. Because if Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus, it wouldn't set up the stage for the cross. And if had there not been no cross, there would be no redemption. And if no crucifixion, there would have been no resurrection. God had it all controlled, orchestrated it all. It happened at the right hour, all in God's timing. If Joseph's brother hadn't betrayed him and sold him as a slave, he never would have got to Egypt and become prime minister and be the one who was responsible for sparing Israel from a devastating drought, fulfilling his dream. Yes, you can even have a family member betray you for your good, to move you forward, to reposition you. Let's move on. The second lesson is we're all in the same boat. All the disciples were in the boat. The boat is life. 
all of them together, face the same storm together, face the commonality of life together. It's not whether or not you'll be in a storm. It's a matter more when will you be in a storm. In this life, everyone will go through storms in the natural and the spiritual. Live long enough and it won't be long and you'll find yourself going through one. Spiritual storms like natural storms, sometimes they're scattered. Sometimes they pass quickly. Sometimes they last for days. Sometimes only producing light rainfall. Sometimes devastation, thunder, lightning, damaging winds. Then there's those storms that hit the whole region. And then the severe storms that bring destruction. Makes no difference whether you're Republican or a Democrat, Pentecost or Baptist, male or female, just or unjust, young or old, black or white, rich or poor. We all face storms, troubles. We're all in the same boat, and this boat is called life. It's inevitable. We go through life together. People don't realize it. It's like when we're in a storm, we think we're the only ones in it or the only ones who've ever been in this kind of a storm. They feel like they're going through something you don't have to go through. And they're envious of you because they feel you're having such a wonderful, stormless life, and they're not. Well, I got a newsflash for them. Pretty people commit suicide. Wealthy people jump off bridges. Successful career people blow their brains out. That don't mean money success are bad. Poor people kill themselves too. Married Christians divorce. And what I'm trying to get you to see is pain and suffering touch every level of life. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. That we all go through pain and suffering regardless of our social status. We're all in the same boat called life. Another lesson is that God makes night visits. Ever had one? For me, it's usually about 3 a.m. That's when the old revelation train pulls into the depot of my mind. The lesson to learn is God shows up in your darkest hour. They had seen him in the day feeding the 5,000 with two fishes and five loaves of bread. They'd seen him on the dry ground on a beautiful sunny day. They'd seen him when life was good. They had seen him on Mount Olives teaching the Beatitudes, but they never seen how he operates in a tempest-tossing sea in the fourth watch of the night. Come on. They didn't know how God could reach you in the night, in the middle of a dangerous storm. And a lot of you don't know how he's going to do it either. Folks, God never sleeps, nor does he ever slumber. Here they are. They think all alone, Jesus sent them out there. Where is he at? Is this the end of us? It's a very dark hour, very scary time. The storm was raging. Remember, Peter's experience with Jesus began when he approached him for the use of the boat. By doing that, Peter might be thinking he needs my boat again. As many others begin to think at times, he needs my singing. He needs my preaching. He needs my degrees. He needs my education. He needs my leadership skills. He needs my money. Newsflash, God don't need anything we got to offer him. When God gets ready to use you, he can do it without anything you got. When God gets ready to feed you, he don't need your job. He don't need your paycheck nor your mama. When he gets ready to meet your need, he will come himself if he has to as he did to these disciples who were out in the storm. And to their surprise, he came walking on the water to where they were at, right in the middle of the storm, on the fourth watch, the darkest hour of the night. And I've come to tell some people in the middle of a storm, he's coming to get you. I said he's coming to get you. There are certain things about God you're going to learn at night. I'm referring to when it's dark all around you, in the darkest hour when they say there's no hope. When you're wondering, how is it going to end? Ever notice how dark it gets in a storm? I'm not talking about a little rain shower. 
I'm talking about a hurricane, a tornado, a tsunami, where 3 p.m. looks like 3 a.m. And nobody wants the nighttime darkness. Every time a storm shows up in my life, I pray what he prayed. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass over me. Ever been there where you plead? Lord, I've had enough. I don't want to go through nothing else. Let me just have some peace and quiet. I'm too old for anything else to happen in my life. I've been through more than the average guy. As a matter of fact, more than my share to where you're praying, Lord, just let me take a sabbatical. Lord, let me take a vacation. Let me take a weekend pass from all this stuff. God, give me a break. I'm tired of the storm. Give me a movie ticket. Give me a night out. Give me a retreat. Ever been there? Are you there? It's like God says no. There's some things about God that can only be seen at night. Can only be seen when you're scared to death. When everything in your life's out of control, when nothing makes sense anymore, when you're at the, the point of a breakdown and he shows up. But here's the problem too often when he shows up, they didn't even recognize him when he showed up at night. I want you to notice two things about his night visits, his timing and his appearance. He came in the fourth watch of the night. He didn't come early in their distress. He came in the nick of time. Later in the storm, he showed up kind of like the Lazarus story. It's like Jesus gets, I had occupied himself with some things to keep him from getting there too soon. And they had to wait. There was a delay for a reason. It's like when you're in trouble and you pick up the phone and you call for help. And you're going, come on, come on, come on, come on, please, please, please answer. Come on, come on, come on. All of a sudden, the operator comes and says, could you hold on, please? And the elevator music starts playing in your ear. I don't know about you, but I hate to be put on hold. I can't even take it for two minutes, especially if it's an emergency. Two minutes in a crisis will seem like a year. Hallelujah. When I have an emergency, I don't want to hear, could you hold? It's one thing if I'm calling Walmart to find out the price of shotgun shells and they put me on hold. And if I get tired of waiting, I'll hang up. But it's another when I'm calling for an ambulance for my mother who's dying and they put me on hold. I want to hang up, but I can't. I got to wait. I don't like it, but what other choice do I have? Come on. Have you ever been tempted to hang up when put, when put on hold in an emergency? Because you have such a need, though, you just endure the music. So it is in the storm. At times, you simply got to endure it until he answers. And Jesus comes on the fourth watch, seeming to delay his coming on purpose. It's okay when we read about it happening. It's easy to understand then. But it's not so funny or understandable when you've got a loved one on life support and you just got to hold on. Or you got a marriage on the divorce docket, you just got to hold on. When you've been without a job for a year and you just got to hold on. But when he says, I'll be there in the fourth watch of the night to come and get you, you have to hold on and you have to believe he's coming. When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, you got to trust him. When he says, I'll be your very present help in times of trouble, he meant it. When he said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, you got to believe he's got everything under control. If he always came when every little thing happened to you, you would never know just how big your God is. You would never know just how powerful he is. He's more than a band-aid or a stitch. He has resurrection power. So he comes to their boat, but he's here always. But here's always the strange thing. When that, that, that you prayed for finally comes, you sometimes don't even recognize it. Because it's not just his timing that throws you off, but it's also his appearance. 
how he shows up. He looks so different in a raging storm. He didn't look like you thought he would look like. He didn't show up like you thought he would show up. He didn't come when you thought he would come. He didn't come in the way you're familiar with. When the answer came, it didn't look like the answer. You don't recognize him because you have pre-scripted in your mind what the answer will look like. But sometimes, church, he'll show up in another form. In the daytime, they never ask, is it you, Lord? But in the night, in the storm, with all the darkness, the thunder, and the violent winds, when he appeared, they were all afraid. Peter asked, is it you, Lord? They didn't see him how they just saw him hours earlier when he was feeding the people. He appeared different to them. He appeared in, in another form. And when God shows up in a different form, different than what you're familiar with, religious folks tend to reject him. People claiming they're tired of same old, same old, but yet when God shows up in a different fashion, it's like that definitely can't be God. We got to be honest. Our perception too many times is it's Sunday. We're going to church. It's the right thing to do. Someone's going to preach the word. And honestly, it looks like we think we're meeting here in this room and God is locked far away in the heavens. That's so far from the truth. Folks, he's here right now. He's involved in your life just as much every other day as he is on Sunday. We act like at times we believe he visits us only on Sunday. Folks, he dwells amongst us. He dwells in us then so that every day we can experience him. This has been the problem with Jesus from the beginning. They were praying for and waiting on the Messiah. But because he showed up in a manger in Bethlehem through a girl they were suspicious of, and because he was lowly and meek, they would not accept him, and they even rejected him. They had a preconceived ideal of him, and when he came, he didn't fit their speculations. That's the problem with us still today, folks. We think we know too much. We think we got him all figured out. It's like we know who he loves, and we know who he will save and won't save. We, all know, we know who can be fixed and who can't be fixed, who he will judge and who he will reject. You just need to know one thing. You need to shut up. We don't know him as well as we think we do. Sometimes God uses people I never thought he would. Sometimes God heals people I never thought he would. Sometimes God saves people I never thought he'd save. Sometimes he calls people home I thought he should have left here on earth. And the more I live and the more I get to know him, I learn the more I didn't know him and what he's doing. Church, God is in control of it all. In order to correct this problem, we need to show up in here not thinking we know anything. Because the longer I live, the more I realize I how little I know God. Because he just keeps showing me stuff and showing me stuff and showing me stuff. I've learned more about God in my darkest hours through my storms than I ever have on my sunny days. I've learned to trust him to do it. When, however, and whenever, I just got to believe he will do it. We are to learn from our experiences. Learning they all have purpose. Every life lesson ought to teach us more about God. Another lesson this passage teaches us is how to react to a storm. Peter being in this situation, the boat and the storm, racks out his personality, don't we all? Everybody else scared and hunkered down. Peter yells, hey, is that you? That's why diversity is so important in the body of Christ. Sometimes we need people who are like Peter, radical in their faith. Stop wanting everybody to look like you. Be glad they're not. It will bring balance to your life. Your weakness could be their strength, and your strength could be their weakness. Peter says, hey, if that's you, Lord, bid me to come. Now, you know, old Doubting Thomas, who's on the boat as well, wasn't going to jump up and say that. Now, I'm sure old Thomas was all hunkered down. He'd be like, 
I don't know who that is. All I know, the devil is a liar. That could be a whale or something. I ain't getting out of this boat. All the while, he was shaking his boots. Both of them were disciples. Both of them loved the Lord, and both of them were anointed. But they have different reactions to Jesus appearing to the manifestation. Here's Peter. He, ha he too may be unsure, but he says, hey. See, Peter's confrontational. Some get scared and hide. He yells, if you bid me to cross. I want you to notice this. The Bible says Peter came down out of the boat. You don't come down out of a canoe. You don't put 12 disciples in a canoe. So whatever kind of boat they were in, it was a big enough he had to come down out of it to step on the water. Learn this. Bigger the boat, bigger the storm. Let me say, before you pray for a big boat, big church, big ministry, a big career, consider the size of the storm coming and be sure you can handle it. Let's let Peter teach us something right here. You see, Peter was an exceptional guy. There are people who are just ordinary, have their own appeal. They're just an average person. But how many knows someone who is exceptional? Well, newsflash, know this. Exceptional people have exceptional problems. If you're married to an exceptional person, don't be surprised of the exceptional problems you've been facing in your marriage. And if you're an exceptional person, stop expecting normal problems. If you have an exceptional ministry, stop expecting normal problems. Don't expect to pastor an exceptional church and have normal problems. Exceptional people like even Joseph are exceptionally hated by his brethren. Or up against exceptional attacks. Or thrown down into exceptional pits. Have exceptional lies told on them. Are sold into bondage for exceptional wages for an exceptional amount of years. But know this, when exceptional people come out, they come out in an exceptional way. Exceptional people do exceptional things. We can all name exceptional people we know who've had exceptional battles. Not just Bible people. Exceptional people have exceptional battles. But exceptional people have exceptional victories. They win big. Be careful about putting your foot on an exceptional person. I'm not saying they're perfect. They can be wrong many times. And guess what? And when they're wrong, they're exceptionally wrong. But when they're right, they're exceptionally right. How could David, who all would agree was an exceptional person, be so exceptionally anointed, exceptionally gifted, yet fall by having an affair and go to the extreme of killing her husband? That's being exceptionally wrong. It's one thing to cheat with his wife, but it was another to kill the husband. That's exceptional. Exceptional people have exceptional issues, but they come out with exceptional victories. Exceptional people live in a world to, to, to themselves because everything from an exceptional perspective. And you can't get them to see things normally. Why? Because they're exceptional. Can we be real for a moment? Exceptional people, when we get it right, we get it really right. But when we get it wrong, we get it really, really, really wrong. We find ourselves in a creative mess, not your normal mess, to where it's hard for us to call upon normal people and ask them to help us and pray for us. Why? Because we're in such an exceptional mess. Well, here you are, just all normal. You're praying for your child to get straight A's. Yet here's the exceptional one. She's praying for her child to get off drugs, and she's the deacon's wife. Come on, somebody. But the good news is she's got an exceptional God who does exceptional things, who's able to deliver you from your exceptional circumstances. And another lesson teaches us there has to be balance in life. So this doesn't leave normal people out. 
Now, although we need some Peters, we also need normal people who are on the boat who are going to do like the other 11 did on the boat. You see, we need balance. We need the normal to balance the exceptional out. We, you don't need one apart from the other. When you get two exceptional people together, there's no balance. When you get two normal people together, there's no progression. There's more people who are normal than exceptional, like Peter, who hollered at Jesus. There is an underlining tendency of normal people, though, who want to be exceptional, but just can't seem to be, to get free enough to be, due to inferiority, due to intimidation that prevails against them. Somehow we think normal is inferior to exceptional. Therefore, making us believe normalcy has no power and, it, and isn't necessarily a good thing. That's not true. There has to be balance in our lives, in your marriage, in your career, in your family, in your ministry. We need balance in the church. We need each other. Together, we're better. Together, we're stronger. And in life-threatening situations, storms, as I call them, teaches about contradictions in our lives. They expose our weaknesses. They teach us that nobody's perfect, including you. They reveal we all have flaws. We all have contradictions in our life. Peter here is, is a clear illustration of how faith and fear can occupy the same person. You see, we have a spirit, but we also have a flesh. And they are contrary to one another. They can create contradictions in our life. It's definitely undeniable that Peter had faith. He had enough faith to holler at Jesus. Hey, unlike me, if Jesus would have walked in his room in the flesh, I'd be saying, hey, I'd be saying, still saying, hey, I'd be falling on my face, and I'd probably start singing just as I am. But Peter, by faith, hollers, hey, call me to do something I've never done before. Bid me to come to you. Do something supernatural in my life, because I'm tired of the same old, same old. But the other 11 might be comfortable, but I'm not. Hey, if that's you, Lord, bid me to come to you. The only way was for God to allow him to walk on the water. And by faith, he begins to, but something begins to happen, and he starts to sink. The Bible says he got scared. He was afraid. Everybody has always criticized him, but he was the only one who had enough faith to try it. The lesson learned is everybody in this room, everybody has contradictions. Like it or not, what I'm about to say is true. Every one of us, at some point or time in our lives, have been hypocritical about something. Because two completely different things exist in us, the spirit and the flesh. Paul said, I would do good and evil was present. In other words, I keep doing the things I hate to do, contradictions. Things contrary to what I believe. Things contrary to who I want to be. My spirit's willing, but my flesh is not. John was the forerunner to Jesus. When Jesus came, he said, this is the one. But when John went to jail and was facing death, he had a contradiction. Fear showed up. He told him to go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one or should I look for another one? You'll see facing death is serious. You'll question things you never had before. You might even begin to pray, I might ought to pray the sinner's prayer again. I don't really know for sure that I'm saved. We've all talked about somebody and what they've done that we've been guilty of doing before ourselves. That's why we have a problem with our children. We believe we have no contradictions, but they live with us and they know different. What we need to do is teach them how to survive the contradictions and be honest with them. It's hard to live with contradictions. 
because you're one step away from victory and you're one step away from defeat. Don't want to know whether to shout or cry. Don't know whether to plan a wedding or a funeral. If you're going up or if you're going down. You want more, but you want less. That's what makes marriage tough. When your contradictions meet her contradictions and you're trying to live with one another. I have a, I have a spirit, but I also have a flesh. And I'm sure there's days my wife wonders which one's coming in the door tonight. Will I walk in in the flesh or will I walk in in the spirit? What we've created with our religion is a toxic atmosphere where no, now none of us can be comfortable about being transparent. We fear if we tell you what I'm going through, instead of you helping me, I fear you'll criticize me while you judge my contradictions. We criticize Peter because he got scared. His faith should have been greater. What would you have done? Launching out in the supernatural can be challenging. At least he launched. He wasn't just a spectator. He was a participator. And then the final lesson, through your storms, you'll learn something new about God. That on the other side of your storm is a miracle. When the disciples got through this experience, which was life changing for them, that night, both the spectators and the participators learned something new about God. The normal ones and the exceptional ones both came out of this storm with a new respect and insight of God. Because the Bible says when Peter got back on the boat and the wind ceased, that all the disciples worshiped God for what, that, for what they had seen. All of us will not be participators. Some of us only spectators. But we will all benefit from what the participators go through because they took the risk to go through the unfamiliar, sought the supernatural, and all their lives will be made better because of what they did. But spectators, you got to quit criticizing the participators. And participators, you got to quit waiting on the spectators. It's a simple principle of leadership. Somebody's got to go first and lead the way. So the ones that stay on the boat ought to be praying for the ones trying to walk on the water. And when you see them go under, don't criticize them. Because when they make it back to the boat, as Peter did, it will cause praise and worship to break out like never before. In both the spectators and the participators. It says they all worship God because they were all in the same boat. Life lessons learned from life-threatening situations, storms will teach you. There is a reason he wants us to go to the other side. If he has to use a storm to get us there, he used a fire once. Some of y'all remember that. Because on the other side of the storm, there is a miracle waiting. Chapter 14, Matthews, as soon as they got to the other side, he healed everyone they brought to him of their diseases. In Mark 4, immediately after they got through the storm to the other side, he delivered a man who was possessed by thousands of demons. I come to tell you on the other side of your storm is a miracle. This teaching is relevant to all of our lives. This nation that we all live in is in a storm, church. And it's affecting every one of our lives, the just and the unjust. But the difference between us and the unjust in this storm, God is on our boat. Will you musicians come, please? And to survive the storm, we must learn these lessons. Number one, with God's in control, no matter what. We're all in the same boat, this boat called life. God makes night visits, shows up in our darkest hours. We have to react to the storm by faith. There has to be balance. We've got to learn that we all have contradictions, that we're not perfect, and you'll learn something new about God through this storm, that there's a miracle on the other side of your storm. 
Folks in here, you're in a storm or know someone who is. Well, we're in the boat with you all together. Would you stand with me tonight? We're in a season of storms in this body. Pastor talked about this morning, but we're all aware of it. We're preaching to you because this is God's relevant, and God speaks to right where we're at. And we've been in these storms, and we're going through these storms, and so many of us are in these storms. The one thing we've got, we got to learn is through this. God's in control. He's with us in the storms. You'll learn something about God you never knew through your storm. You'll learn just how big he is, just how strong he is, just how powerful he is. You'll learn things about yourself that you didn't know. You'll learn you're stronger than what you thought you were. And we've got to learn that, but there's something else we've got to learn about storms. All of these disciples were in the same boat. This is the boat. We're all in this thing together. We're a family. We're a church, and we're in this thing together. And I, I just want to... Ask some of you to help me out here to do something for just a minute. I'm going to ask a few people. I'm not asking you to do anything, but just, just come here and stand. Sonia, would you just come here and stand? Just come up here and stand. Chuck, just come up here and stand. Will, come up here and stand. Susan, just come here and stand. Brother Foster, just come up here and stand, would you? Greg, come up here and stand. Junior, just come up here and stand. My buddy Lucas, come on up here and stand. If these guys were in storms, what I just want us to show each other tonight. There's something we got to know for each other. Because so many times we're in a storm, we don't know if anybody cares. We don't know if they know. We don't know what's going on so many times. But we got to know that if you're in this body, you're in this church, people care. So I'm just going to ask you, if you know any of these people, and I told you not there's a storm, would you come up Would you come up here and stand with them and let them know that they're not in the storm alone, would you? Anybody? Any of y'all know these people? Would any of y'all come up here? If you knew that one of these people were in a storm, would you come up here? Brother Sullivan, would you come up here? If anybody knows Roger, if he was in a storm tonight, would you, would you come up here and be with him? And let him know you care for him? Tommy, would you come up here? Tommy, come up here. If anyone knew Tommy, would anybody come up here and stand with Tommy knowing he's going through a storm? Keith, would you come up? If anybody knew Keith was in a storm tonight and he's going through a storm... Oh, else coming? Would you come up here? Would anybody come with Keith and stand with Keith? Ricky, come on up. Ricky's in a storm tonight. Would anybody in this church come up here and assure Ricky that he's not going through it by himself? He's not alone. Now, seeing all these people that are up here and other people that are up here with these people, if you've seen any of these people for the rest of you, if you've seen any of these people in a storm, would all y'all that slept out there, would you come up here and stand with them? If you knew they was going through a storm, you'd want them to know I'm with you, that we're all in this boat together, that we're not going through this thing alone. Come on, Kim. Vicki, come on. Come on. Come on up. Even if you're visiting or you don't, just come on up tonight. And now that all these people are up here, I want you to look to your left and look to your right. See who's standing by you. See who's around here. And I want you to not ever be deceived to thinking that this church does not love you. This church does not care for you. That you're going through a storm and we could care less. We care for each other. This is our family. God's with us. You've got to believe that. 
But you also got to believe, and we've got to be the kind of church that we are there for them. All the disciples were in the boat. This is the boat, and we're all in it. And when we have storms, we're all in it together. And I'm there for you, and you're there for me. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask these guys, if you start playing a song, begin to play, I'd ask you, just, would you just grab the hands of the people beside you? Make a connection all the way through here. And as they pray this song, I want you to take the time to pray for one another. The Bible says pray ye one for another. Pray for the one on your left. Pray for the one on your right. So that everybody knows everybody's praying for somebody. That if I've got a problem, if I'm in a storm, I can count on somebody's going to be there with me. Somebody's going to pray with me. Somebody's going to pray for me. Go ahead, guys, if you play.